their best day ever too. Amen? Amen. All right. Hey, I'm excited to be with you this morning. It's going to be a great day. You know, this might uh, be uh, something that surprises you a little bit, but I, I really do not like superhero movies. How many of you are infatuated with superhero movies? Yeah, there's got to be a lot of you because the Avengers movie made $2.8 billion, so there's a lot of people going to see in the movie. I'm not one of them because I don't get the concept of the superhero movie. It's not realistic to me, so it doesn't appeal to me. However, I do find it fascinating how much our society is ate up with the concept of a superhero movie. It's interesting to me because the superhero movies are all the same. The plot is always the same. There is some evil villain who has some weird ability, talent, or has some supernatural ability who's going to wipe out the entire world, and there's always one person who has another supernatural talent or ability that they're either born with or they're instilled with by some sort of technological accident that changes them, and they're the only people who can overcome the injustice that is about to befall upon the humanity. Humanity. That's a good word. Humanity. Upon <laughs> humanity. They're the only person that can bring peace to the entire world. And I think the reason why we love this concept of the superhero so much is because we see a lot of brokenness and injustice, evil and suffering in society, and we wish that we could fix it. But we understand within our own ability that we can't change or correct the evil that we see with our own eyes. We instinctively know that if someone's going to bring peace to humanity, they have to have some sort of supernatural or superhuman ability to fix the wrong that we see. Now, I think that's interesting. I think you know exactly where I'm going with this. We as a society know that we're too broken for us to fix it. And that somebody with supernatural power is going to be the one that has to fix it. And that's going to lead us to the truth of this message this morning. Only God is superhuman. And as a result, only God can perform miracles in your life and in my life. Only God is able to right the wrong that happens within us. Only God is able to bring healing to our bodies or able to bring peace to our minds or to, to fix the situations that even though we created them, he's the one that's going to have to fix them. We don't have the ability to do it on our own. And I think that's why superhero movies are so fascinating to us because it resonates deep within our core, illuminates something that we instinctively know to be true, and that is this. We need a hero in our life. The good news is that Jesus came to be our hero. He came to be the one to bring the miracle that you and I desperately needed in our life. Now, there's something that's very interesting about God himself, and that is this, that he is the only one with the, the ability to perform a miracle. The thing about a miracle is you can't manufacture or fake a miracle. If I cut my leg off and I can't fake growing a new one, like it's either there or it's not, and if it was to grow back, only God is the one that can do that. So he alone reserves the right for miracles. Now, here's the thing about a miracle. For a miracle to be a miracle, it has to be a supernatural event without explanation in the natural. Or said another way, it has, to be out, it has to be without explanation other than there was a divine interaction that happened. And indeed, we know when that is the case, only God can do that. Only God can open blind eyes. Only God can raise the dead. Only God 
can fix what's broken inside of us. Today, we're going to be in John chapter number nine. We're going to be reading about a very familiar uh, miracle for a lot of us. We're going to be reading about a man who was born blind. He was blind from birth, and yet Jesus does something very interesting. Let's start reading. We're going to pick up in verse number one of John chapter number nine. Here's what it says. As he passed by, speaking of Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or that his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Shalom, which means scent. And he went, washed, and came back seen. The neighbors and those who uh, seen him as before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, it is not he. He kept saying, I am the man. Skipping down to verse number 35, here's what it says. Jesus heard that they had casted him out. This is the same guy that we just read about. He had been cast out from the synagogues. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, who is it, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So let's kind of recap what's going on. I, I skipped a few verses. Let me kind of catch you up on what we're, what we're dealing with. Jesus is walking, and he sees a man who is born blind. He, this man has never seen in his life, and his disciples see this guy begging. And at this time in, in, in human history, there was no civil programs. There was no social security. There was no disability. So if you were not able to work, the only thing you could do was sit there and beg. And so the disciples have some, some pity on this guy, and they say, Look, here's a guy, he's been born blind, he's never had an opportunity to have a real job, he's just sitting in the corner begging, hoping that people have mercy on him. Some, this guy had to do something wrong. And so they turned to Jesus and they said, did this guy sin something terrible that he was born blind? Which is kind of a weird question, how can you sin before you're born? He said, or was it his, par his parents were probably dirtbags and that God cursed their child for the bad decisions that they had made? And Jesus said, no, no, no. No, no, no. It's that the works of God might be displayed in his life. And so he goes over, spits on the ground, makes some mud, puts it in the guy's eyes and says, go and wash. So they go, he goes and washes. He comes back seen and, and all the people in the area, they recognize him and say, hey, this guy was, was blind a few minutes ago. What happened? And so he's telling them, I, I was healed. And, and, the, and, the, and the religious leaders, they hear this and they see this commotion and the religious leaders, all religious people are the same way. They don't like people having fun or having joy in their heart. And so they go to investigate and they say, now, now why, why are you excited? Well, it's obvious why he's excited. He was blind and now he can see. And so you think in that moment that they would be uh, excited that this guy has some hope. Instead, they're like, now, now hang on a second. Somebody performed a, a, a miracle on, on, on the Sabbath. It's Sabbath. You're not supposed to work. And this guy made mud. That's a, that's a lot of labor to put some mud together and put it in your eyes. He, that, this guy's a bad man. He broke the law. Where is he at? 
And so they, they, they start questioning this guy. And he says, look, you know, look, the guy who put mud in my eyes says, go wash. And so they start saying, well, you weren't born blind. And so the religious leaders, they get together. And the other thing that religious leaders like doing is they like having committees. You might know that if you've been in church a long time, we have a committee about everything. And so anyways, I don't know why. We just like committees. And so we, do, we don't like fun and we like committees, which kind of goes together well. So that's good. And so anyway, so they get a committee together and they say, well, that this guy has to be lying to us. This has to be some sort of sham. And so they bring his parents in and the parents are like, no, we, we had this boy. He, he was blind. He's of age now. You're going to have to talk to him. And so they question him again and they said, well, who is this man? And he says, well, I, I, he must be a prophet. I mean, I couldn't see and now I can. And they say, we only have one person that we follow and it's Moses. You can follow this guy. We follow Moses. And this guy said, look, I don't, I don't understand everything, but all I know is that I was blind and now I see. And so what they did was, because they didn't like that answer, and Jesus was taking market share from them, is they kicked him out of the synagogue. And when Jesus heard that he'd been kicked out of the synagogue, they go and find him. And he says to him, can you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy's like, well, just show me who he is. And he said, the one talking to you is the guy. Now, this passage is amazing to read, and just the the. The course of the flow of it is amazing. A lot of people describe that they have a hard time understanding the passages. When you start looking at something like this, you start seeing that God comes forth. When we study the Bible on Wednesday nights, I always tell everybody this. There's two things you always need to ask. You need to ask what I learned about Jesus and learn how do I relate to him in, in, in this particular passage. As you read this passage and you were to ask those two questions, what, what do I learn about Jesus? From the fact that he can walk up to a blind man and make mud and make him see. And what do I learn about my need for him from that passage? You're, you're, the things that you can learn about Jesus and the things that you can learn about yourself and your need for him are almost limitless. And so I want to spend a few moments today, and this message is going to be broken up a little bit different. It's kind of like a part one and a part two, and we want to look at these questions separately. What do I learn about Jesus, and what do I learn about my need from him? Because when you look at this story, let me tell you something. There might not be one miracle that shows Jesus' power as God more than this man who was born blind. So let's start with our first question. What do we learn about Jesus? And the first thing we look at and we can see from this is this, is that Jesus is always working. There are some people who just like to work. How many of you grew up in a house that you also didn't believe in fun? You weren't religious. You just believed in work more than fun. Okay, so it was me, okay? <laughs> Nobody else's dad made you get up at Saturday morning. There was no cartoons and you sit. Yeah, okay, now it's starting to come together. See, when we grew up, there was none of this, none of this sleeping in on Saturdays. There was no, I didn't know that there was such a thing as Saturday cartoons because dad liked to wake up and go to work on Saturday morning. And dad didn't like to work alone. And since I was the oldest male child, I was with him, right? And basically at that age, when you're working with dad, you're just getting yelled at a lot. My dad was notorious for saying, go get me the, he stopped talking. Did your dad ever do that? Hey, go to the garage and get me the, Hey, I told you to go get the, <laughs> go get the thing. I was like, what thing? You have a lot of things in the garage, right? Some people just like to work. Apparently that is Jesus. When we pick up on this passage, Jesus is traveling with his disciples 
And they see this guy born blind. He's, he's never seen. He's sitting there begging. And so they say, hey, as I said a moment ago, who, who, who sinned, him or his, this guy? And his, his, his answer is very interesting. He says, look, I came to do the work of the one who sent me. Notice Jesus did not answer their question. We'll circle back to that later. He said, I'm looking for places to work. Now that's interesting to me. He said, we must always be about our father's work. This guy is an opportunity for me to invest in and to work in. See, sometimes we have terrible situations in life, and we see problems, and Jesus sees an opportunity to invest. Have you ever been around wealthy people? Wealthy people are interesting to me because they're always looking for places to invest their money. They're always looking for a place to invest so that their money can work for them. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly how Jesus walked on this earth. He was rich with his father's glory. He was rich with power. And he was continually looking for places to invest his father's glory and power in so that that person could go on and do a work for the kingdom. So he sees this man. He says, I have to be about my father's work. Here's something we need to fundamentally understand about God. God is always working. He never stops working in our life. He's always looking for opportunities to display his power and his glory in our life. And that's good news for us because we have a lot of situations where we need him to display his power and his glory. The good news for the blind man is that Jesus was working. Put yourself in the blind man's shoes for a moment. He was born blind. He's never seen Jesus In fact, later on, when he does look at him for the first time, he doesn't recognize him because he doesn't even know what he's looking for. He might have heard people describe the miracles to him, but he's never seen it for himself. There's nothing that could bring him sight, but God was in motion and was active in his situation. And this is good news for us, knowing that God is always working to bring comfort and hope to our life. You might be in a situation today where you need God to work in a way that you can't do on your own. There are countless scenarios that we're going to get into in life where we're going to need God to perform a real bona fide miracle, something that we can't fake, something that we can't manufacture, something that only God himself is able to do. And the good news is Jesus is also looking for those same opportunities in our life. So when we get into the pit of despair, so to speak, we should not reside there and say we should have hope knowing that God is always working and he wants to work in our situation if we see it or not. That's what I love about this situation is that Jesus was working even though the guy couldn't see Jesus working. He was sitting there begging, not knowing that Jesus was in the peripheral about to come change his life. And so many times we have situations where we're saying, God, I don't see you working, but we are blind to what God is actually trying to do. And there's a moment of revelation where we see what he's doing and it completely changes our perspective in our life. The miracle itself is also interesting. He walks up to the blind man. He doesn't ask him if he wants to be healed. He doesn't, he doesn't really do anything. We can assume there's some sort of pleasantries, but he just walked up and healed the man. Why? Why did Jesus do it that way? Because that's how Jesus does. He is always working in our life. He felt the urgency in this moment. And what this shows us is that Jesus can make sure that we get everything from him that we need before time runs out. Most of us, when we get into places of despair, that's the issue for us. We know we can make it a day. We know we can make it a couple days. We might be able to make it a week or two. But we know that the proverbial clock is ticking. And the question that we always ask is, God, are you going to come through for me in time? Are you going to show up in time? 
And the pattern of Jesus from Scripture, the answer is always yes. The second thing we see from Jesus in this passage is that Jesus' hands make us new. Now, we need to deal with the elephant in the room here for a second. Jesus walks up to a blind man, spits in the ground, makes mud, and then puts it in his eyes. Like, imagine you're a blind man, and you're sitting there, and your cup is out, and a guy walks up, spits in the ground, makes mud, and puts it in your eyes. That sounds a little bit sadistic, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Let's just walk through this for a second. This is a little bit strange. This is not how you and I would operate, is it? In fact, I had this pastor buddy one time. He told this story that he was at a camp, and there was a young man in front of him. He said, I was a teenager, and he said, I remembered this story, and this kid in front of him, he said he, was, he couldn't hear. He was deaf. And so he remembered this story. And so he's standing there and he says, I don't know what to do. So I'm praying. He said, all these people are praying. And he says, I stood there and he says, I had this crazy idea. He says, I'm going to lick my fingers and stick them in his ears. <laughs> and so he says, I'm standing there. And he's like, do I do this or not? Do I do this or not? And he said, so I'm standing there. And he says, I go like this real quick. And he said, that poor kid. He said in front of me, he said, I just, I, he said, I just stuck my fingers in his ears and they were wet. You know, what was he thinking in that moment? That's exactly what this is like. Some of you are trying to figure out, can I laugh at this or not? It's kind of cringy, you know? You're like, Ugh. we give Jesus a pass because he's Jesus and the guy can see. So we know something was working, but this is weird, isn't it? Jesus spits and makes mud. And puts it in the guy's eyes? That makes no sense. Furthermore, Jesus healed countless people with nothing but a word. Jesus walked up and spoke, and they were healed. You know, there was, was a time this guy came up to him and said, Hey, my daughter's dying. Or excuse me, it was a centurion who said, My servant is dying. And Jesus said, well, I'll come with you. And the guy said, no, you don't need to come. Just give a word. I'm a man of authority. I have people over me and people under me. And when my authority gives me a command, I follow it because I'm under their authority. And when somebody under my command, I give them a command. They follow it because I'm an authority in their life. And you're an authority in this situation. All you got to do is give a command and this, this servant of mine will be healed. And Jesus said, I've never seen any faith like this. So he didn't even have to go look at the victim. Now, in this case, he walks up, spits, makes mud, and sticks it in the guy's eyes. That seems odd to me. Now, pretty confident that the mud was not the source of the healing. Pretty confident the spit was not the source of the healing. Jesus was the source of the healing. So if the mud wasn't the agent of the healing, then why did Jesus make the mud? Check this out. Jesus was sending a message to his disciples. And he was sending a message to the blind man. He was sending a message to the religious leaders, and he was sending a message to us. Jesus made the mud to show who he was, and who he was and who he is, is God. You see, thousands of years before this blind man was born, Jesus also made another body out of mud. He was in a garden of Eden, and he formed the dust of the ground into a body, and then he breathed the breath of life into that body, and that mud became a living, breathing man named Adam. And now thousands of years, our creator is there, and one of his creations is broken. And so he takes some mud, and he puts it in the guy's eyes as a reminder that I am the one who made you, and when you're broken, I'm the one that can fix you. When your iPhone 
iPhone breaks, you take it back to the manufacturer to get it fixed. So when our soul and our body is broken, we have to go back to the manufacturer to get it fixed. We have to go back to the one who created us in order to heal us. Third thing we see in this is that Jesus uses our pain to bring him glory and other people comfort. Disciples start out by asking the question that we always have when we see suffering and pain in our life or in someone else's life. They ask the question, who sent, this man or his parents? And what they're really asking is this, why does bad things happen to good people? It's a question that we've all had. It's a question that we will have time and time again, even for us as Christians. Sometimes we will see situations and we'll say, God, I'm struggling to understand. I don't, I don't understand why this is happening. And so we ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? Why am I going through this? Why is my loved one going through that? Why are those people over there experiencing this? The reason why we are asking this question is we're trying to get to the root of the problem. Because if I can figure out who sinned and how they sinned, then maybe I can avoid that thing so I don't experience what they're experiencing. Or if I figure out why I'm experiencing what I'm going through, then I can change it and not experience it anymore. Why does bad things happen to good people? Well, the answer is very, very, very easy because I drink coffee every morning. Well, I'm not drinking coffee anymore. I'm done with that. We're trying to figure out the source of pain and suffering. And what's interesting is countless times in scripture, Jesus is asked the question, why do people suffer? And he never gives the answer. Not one time. Not one time. In fact, they came to him one time. They said, hey, look, this big tower fell and a bunch of people killed a bunch of them. And Jesus said, well, don't, go, don't sin. Something might bad happen to you. That was his answer. I'm like, you're supposed to be the one to bring comfort. And now I'm here with a situation and you're not bringing the answers I need. In this moment, Jesus doesn't answer. Rather, he gives them a promise. He says, so the works of God might be displayed in him. Now that's. That's, a, that's an answer that doesn't really settle well with us. Does that mean that God caused this man to be born blind? Does that mean that God ordained this guy to suffer for years so that he could simply heal him? This is concerning. Furthermore, it doesn't answer the question. Why do we suffer? Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't answer all the questions we have about suffering. It's important to note that Jesus is not saying that God caused the man to be born blind. We see from Scripture that suffering is primarily a result of a broken world groaning as it waits for its redemption. So what Jesus is teaching his disciples in this moment is that while we cannot understand suffering, and I think that's why Jesus didn't answer it, because if we could understand suffering, he would have explained it to us. While we cannot understand suffering, God is in the business of healing and bringing comfort to our suffering. He's in the business of fixing and coming and experiencing suffering with us at the cross so that through his suffering, you and I can have healing in our points of suffering. If you take this into context, just a few, pa- a few verses before, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. What better way to show that he is the light of the world than giving sight to a man that was born blind? So we're not always going to understand the process that we find ourselves in suffering, 
but we will understand the benefits that come from it, that we will get to see Jesus's glory manifested in our situation. It's either now in this lifetime or in heaven. Either way, we have the ultimate victory and the ultimate freedom from suffering. We'll get to see that God works in different individuals throughout our lifetime, but we're going to see countless numbers of people in the next lifetime who God has worked through. What we see from this verse is a lot of things about Jesus. We see that he's always working. We see that his hands make us new, and we see that our pain brings him glory and comfort to ourselves. So what do, we, what do we learn about this blind man in relating to Jesus, who is always working, who always knew, and wants to bring us comfort? What do, we, what do we learn from the blind man? How are we, if we're in a point where we're like him, and we need a miracle in our life, what is it that we should learn in how to relate to God? What do I need from Christ? The first thing is this. We need Christ to do a work that we cannot I talked about this at the beginning of the message, and it needs to be talked about again. This man was born blind, and there was nothing that he could do to rewrite his situation. All of us hate getting ourselves into helpless situations. I don't know about you, but I do not like being in a situation that I do not enjoy that I cannot get out of. I don't like being held hostage. That's why I stopped sending group text messages, because then people start responding, your phone goes off for the next 15 hours, and it feels like a hostage situation, right? Like, I just want out of this. It's true. It's like, look at my new cat. <laughs> like, here's a picture to 40 people, and everybody feels obligated then to compliment on the cat. Like, don't care about the cat, you know? That's mean, isn't it? Not very nice. I'm working on the fruit of the Spirit. Give me, be patient with me. We don't like being in situations that we can't control. Charles Spurgeon said this, though. It is not our littleness that, hind- that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It's not our weakness that hinders Christ. It is our strength. It is not our darkness that hinders Christ. It is our supposed light that holds back his hand. While that quote doesn't give us comfort, that quote is powerful if you think about it. Because there are so many situations that we're going to find ourselves in where we feel little, we feel weak, we feel like we don't have the answers, and that's right where Jesus has us, where he can actually work in our life. Only when we realize our desperate situation will we turn to Christ. Our pride keeps us from his healing hand so many times. There is a lot of people who never surrendered to Christ and his word and his process, and they stay blind in their situation because they can't humble themselves enough to face him. Second, we learn from our need from Christ that just as Christ is always working, we have a work to do too. There are several interesting details about this passage. All of these details teach us something about Jesus, and he's trying to communicate to us. For example, the blind man sent to Shalom, which is a pool, which means sent, and Jesus is sent from God to bring us healing waters. I mean, it's very profound, everything that Jesus does. What's interesting, though, is he says, we have a work to do. In verse 4, Jesus is walking along. He sees the man. He's man's there, and he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, that's kind of an interesting. Who is the 
we in this passage? Is the we Jesus and the Father? Is the we Jesus and the disciples? Who is the we? That might surprise you, but he's speaking of the blind man. The we in this pair is Jesus and the blind man have work to do together. Jesus needed to perform a miracle. That was his work. But the blind man has some work to do too. His work was to believe that Jesus could heal him. Jesus had been telling people that this was their work and this responsibility. He had been telling them for a while. Listen carefully. Our work of the faith is to believe in Jesus. That's all our work entails. But it's the one work that we tend to not want to do. John 6, verse 28 through 29. So Jesus had already told them, said this. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So right here, if we want to work, what work do we need to be doing? Do we need to be saying some Hail Marys? Do we need to be walking outside, turn around three times and spitting? I mean, what do we do? Here's what he says. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the only work that you and I need to do in life, and that is to believe in Jesus, whom God has sent. There's nothing else that you and I can do to change our situation, but we do have one thing that we need to do, and that is to believe in Jesus. And sometimes it takes a lot of work to believe. Have you ever been in a situation that took a lot of work to believe? A situation where you didn't want to keep going forward, you didn't want to believe? We have to remember that this man believed in Jesus before he ever saw Jesus. He has spent, we didn't read them all for the sake of time, but he had spent 30 verses defending this man whom he never saw. 30 verses. The healing took eight. The religious leader dominated the next 30. And he's defending a guy who he had never seen. And when he finds Jesus, he worships him. Listen, Jesus does the impossible work in our situations. But we're the ones who have to do some work of believing. That's our part of the equation. The third thing we have to do is we have to hold the line of faith. What's truly dumbfounding is that, like I said, eight verses for the healing, 30 verses dealing with the religious leaders who are just being obnoxious at this point. Once again, they have a problem with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. The reason why they have this problem is because Jesus' authority is abundantly clear and he's not playing by their rules. They love the law more than the lawgiver. Should be a warning to us. It's amazing how much we can fall in love with God's gifts in our life more than we fall in love with God Himself. We worship the, the gift over the giver, so to speak. And we see that through the rest of this chapter that this man is defending Christ. And here's the reality for us if we're going to be Christians, then we have to be willing to defend a faith even when it's not popular. And we have to be willing to be like Jesus, who is. As a, sheep, as a sheep silent before the shears, so too we don't always get to defend ourselves or advocate for ourselves. We have to trust Christ. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. So we see these two parts of this equation. What do we learn about Jesus? And what do we learn about relating to him? Well, we see from Jesus himself that he's always working, that his hand can renew us and remake us. We see that He can take our pain and turn it for his glory and for our comfort. And our response to that amazing truth is to trust Christ to do what we cannot do.
to do the work of belief and stay faithful to the very end, following him. We do that, we will see the goodness of God in our own life. You know, I think there is a question that always has to be answered. Can God still do something in my life? Can God still do something in my life? And the answer is a resounding yes. I've told you this story before, but craziest thing I've ever seen. I will never forget it till the day I die. I was at a youth camp. There was a girl who was blind. They started praying for her. As they were praying for her, she just stood there and they prayed for a long time. It seems like they prayed for four hours. I don't know. She got up. She said, I can see. And walked back to her dorm or the, where all the other kids were by herself in the dark. It's the craziest thing I ever saw. There was a time I was in a hospital room one time and there was this lady there who she had had a brain bleed. And she was an older lady and my pastor was on vacation and he called me in the middle of the night. He's like, hey, I need you to go see this lady. I didn't know any of her family. I'd only met her a few times. And so we go down there and I go down there. It's like three in the morning. And our nurse brings me out and she's like, look, this lady's going to die. There's nothing we're going to do for her. Her brain, her, she was bleeding so bad in her brain that it was starting to compact her brain. Starting to, like you stuck it in a vice and started to compress it. And like, she's not going to get out of here, but if she somehow gets out of here, she's going to be on feeding tube, never to wake up, you know, just all this bad stuff. And it, I didn't know what else to do in this moment, you know? I mean, you hear this news, you don't know this family, they're borderline hysterical. No doctors in the building, hard to find one that night, time of night, apparently. I, I don't know all the situation. Just the only thing was a nurse, this lady, and her children. Craziest thing. Said a simple prayer of faith. I didn't know what else to pray other than say, God, you're going to do a miracle here in this situation. There was no screaming, no yelling, no nothing other than just a simple prayer pray of faith. One of her children had got there with an ambulance, so they had no way to get back to their house. They said, hey, can you run me to my house? I got to get some clothes and some things. And so that was it. So we prayed, and we were there for maybe 30 minutes and just talking to the family, prayed, and then took this craziest thing. That woman walked out of that room before it was over. Now, you talk about, like, bona fide miracles. That was a real bona fide miracle. Now, not, not like what we would hype up. I just don't know how else that happened if it wasn't for God. But you know, at the same time, I've also seen godly people, terminal illness, prayed, and they went to heaven. So was God faithful to some, but not to others? The answer would be no. God was faithful to all of them. They all see the victory. I think it's very important to make this distinction for us. When we start talking about the miracles of God, is it comes down to trust. You see some of these miracles that God did in people's lives. It's unbelievable. This guy here, born blind, he could see. You know what also happened to that blind man one day? He died. God spoke Lazarus' name, called him out of a tomb. You know what happened to Lazarus? He died. Sometimes we see these things in life and we say, God, unless you work the way that I'm praying or asking you to, then you're not working in my situation. And that would 
that would be an abomination of what God is teaching us. We are to come. We are to present our needs. We are to pray the prayer of faith. We are to put things in his hands and say, God, I trust you.